Welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Friday morning, July the 12th. It is Daniel Wehrman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Friday morning. Welcome into the show. It's been a, uh, a crazy week. We are, as we mentioned yesterday, we are leaving for Europe and we'll be taking the show uh, on a European tour over the next few weeks. So getting ready for that and uh, getting everything lined up, logistics, all those things uh, play into it. So um, been a crazy week, but, um, you know, good day today, birthday today. Um so, you know, it's never never a bad day to have your birthday on a Friday. So, uh so so that's good as well, but um yeah, so we're getting ready for this European tour. Really looking forward to meeting uh and interviewing a bunch of uh, interesting people and uh, getting a look at some places that uh hopefully uh, you've never heard of before that we can bring something new to you, some new content to you that, uh, that you haven't seen. So we, we are, we are really excited about bringing that to you. Um, there's some stories that, that, uh, we're going to cover that, um, I, I think are going to be pretty fascinating. Um, and, uh, and, and I think pretty insightful too. So, uh, really looking forward to sharing those over the next few weeks. Um, the, the tour begins on Monday, July the 15th, and uh, we will continue that through August the 6th. So we will be doing a lot of uh, going around Europe. We'll be uh, in Amsterdam, Paris, Liverpool, London, Copenhagen, uh, ending in Barcelona, and, and a bunch of places in between. So, um, you know, stay tuned. If you're not following on social media at Daniel Workman for Twitter and Instagram, um, you should do so, uh, f- you know, find me, uh, facebook.com forward slash W R K M N. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think it'd be worth doing. We're going to, we're going to be providing a lot of content behind the scenes, uh, social media pieces as well. Um, so, you know, I, w- I would say that that would, uh, definitely be, uh, be worth it. Uh, at least I, I hope it will be. I think it will be. And, uh, so we are, um, we, we are heading towards, uh, towards Monday very rapidly. So just trying to get everything ready to go and, um, and, and ready to, um, you know, ready to, to be able to, um, bring you some really, really different content, some cool content as well. Um, so we are uh, we're we are excited about that. Um, you know, when we look at this time of year, uh, it, there's a real big um, juxtaposition between uh, those who take the game seriously and those who don't. And we talked a little bit about yesterday um, that if you're the you know president of the U.S. Soccer Federation, you've got to you've got to take your your job serious enough to know you know, your national team players by name. Uh, I don't care how nervous you are. Um, if you know someone, like if you really know them, um, you're not going to mess up 
their name in the way that that Carlos Cordero messed up Megan Rapinoe's name by by calling her Megan Rapinoe. Um, but when we when we look at this on a macro level, on a bigger level, when we zoom out and and take in what's going on this time of year, we realize that America doesn't really take the game of soccer very seriously. That, that our women's team is an anomaly. They're winning because of themselves, not because of the culture, not because of the environment. Um, they are winning because other factors created an environment for them to be successful, i.e. the fact that we've had Title IX and college soccer available for women for, for a while has given us a head start on the rest of the world. The rest of the world have been sending their young ladies to America because they didn't have any programming at 18, 19, 20 years old. That's all changing on the women's side. It's all changing. When we look at the the men's side of the game, it's very easy to see that we don't take the game very serious. When when you have when you have people that that stand up and say, "Well, you know, look at all that Major League Soccer has done, all the money they've invested." Well, I, I would say a couple things. Number one, have they have they really invested? And the reason why I ask that question, have they really invested, is this. If, if they've really invested, why do they go into these cities demanding that the cities, that the taxpayers be paying for their stadiums and their infrastructure? Because they're not investing. It's the taxpayers who have often been investing. And you can't say they're putting the money into the soccer side of these things. They, they, they run budgets that are that are for an entire team less than one player makes in Europe. We're not talking about apples to apples here. We're not talking about uh, an, an ownership group in, in Major League Soccer that has teams around the country that is putting all this money back into the game. They're making money off of the game. They use Soccer United Marketing, their second company, to 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 gain profits off of the U.S. men's and women's national teams with a no-bid contract that is that they pay under market prices for and they get to earn profits off of. They're not putting money into the game. They're taking money out of the game. They're taking money out of, of U.S. soccer. So when we, when we look at this on a macro level... You're talking about, you know, players that are getting transferred for for tens of millions of dollars, in some cases over a hundred million dollars. In some cases, players are getting transferred for what an entire MLS franchise currently costs. We don't take the game serious. How do how could we take the game serious when we are 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 shopping in, in the discount aisle of the bargain bin? That's how we run soccer in this country at a professional level. 
where we do take take soccer serious in this country is completely upside down where we're paying a thousand dollars fifteen hundred dollars three thousand dollars for our eight-year-old to play on a travel soccer team that is serious and that is crazy An American family will spend more in one year on their child to play travel soccer in America than a kid in Europe growing up will pay to their youth club for their entire youth career. Think about that. In every area we have the we have the money in the game, we just don't have it in the right places. We haven't redirected the funds into the right bins, into the right flow. The dysfunction has created a system of more dysfunction. The money is a result. Where it's coming from and where it's going is a direct result of the system in which we exist. In America, We do not have a system that rewards merit. We do not have a system that prioritizes excellence and development. Instead, we have a system built built on giving people the ability to create artificial scarcity We see it at the professional level. We see it in the amateur level. We see it in the youth level. We will give you a title. We will give you a license. We will give you a territory. We'll give you all these different things. And that's going to give you the ability to get some level of exclusivity so that you can charge a lot of money. That's how it works. And we haven't figured out how to get it right, how to do it right, how to be better. And that is an area that we are are completely missing the boat beyond promotion and relegation, beyond training compensation and solidarity payments. We are living in a country where we have families spending thousands of dollars on their eight-year-olds to play soccer. And we're in, 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 we are, not even realizing how far off we are from global standards, how far off we are from global practices. It's not an accident that the rest of the world is ahead of us and leaving us, no matter how much progress we think we are making here. And the Federation is notorious for for making proclamations about we're growing and we're getting better. But if we're growing at at 5% and they're already ahead of us and they're growing at 10% or 15%, then in fact, we're not growing in relation to the rest of the world. We're falling farther behind. And that's where we are. That's the reality of where we are. Are there challenges to being in America when it comes to soccer? Absolutely. There are. There are challenges. There are some massive geographic challenges. It's probably the biggest challenge of all. Our blessing is also our biggest obstacle. The fact that we are so large, the fact that we have we have communities spread out all over this country is a, is an obstacle. 
but it is also it is also a positive but we have to better leverage that one of the things we've got to do is get better at what we do so for example if us soccer were absolutely serious about being a federation for all a federation of growing the sport in this country not in eight markets not in whatever market Major League Soccer is in now or wants to be in soon, but in every community in this country. Our national teams would be playing in all 50 states. We would be seeing the U.S. women's national team on a victory lap playing a match in Idaho, playing a match in New Mexico, we would see our, our youth national teams playing matches in Indiana, playing matches in Iowa, playing matches in Mississippi. We should be bringing our national teams all over this country. Our men's national teams should not just be playing in Major League Soccer markets or future Major League Soccer markets. Our men's national team should be playing all over the place. They should be all over the place, bringing our national teams to every state should be a big priority for the U.S. Soccer Federation. They should be all over this country, South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska. We should be all over America bringing our teams every chance we get to all parts of this country. I guarantee you, if you drop the U.S. women's national team in West Virginia for a match, you're going to have a massive crowd, a lot of passion, and it's going to be the talk of the state. Of the state. If we were really serious about and, and about being passionate and and wanting to grow the sport in this country, that's something we could do that's very easy, doesn't take any policy change. There's no legal controversy. There's no excuses U.S. soccer needs to make about how what we feel like our hands are tied with this or there's this precedent here and we can't do Leaders lead, and leaders should be bringing the U.S. national team to every state in this country, period. Period. Grow the game. Make the game better. If I had one birthday wish, that's what it would be, is for U.S. soccer to start placing its priority on the sport, on on opportunity, on access, on merit. And one of the things you can do to improve access and opportunity is start bringing that national team program, whether it's the men's, the women's, or any of our other national team programs, to all 50 states. That would be progress. Thanks for tuning in today. Our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand. They are the makers of really cool products. Um, coaches, 
soccer coaches, uh, uh, goalkeepers, players. If, if, if you're looking for some resources to help you study the game, take notes, to, to deliver training sessions, etc., check them out at ducticbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com, and use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off your order uh, when you do. Uh, that is ducticbrand.com. We will be right back with Brian Finnerty right after this. into the show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is Friday, July the 12th, and we are excited to have joining us this morning Brian Finnerty. He is the CEO of Opportunity Seed. Um, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, for joining us this Friday morning. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, uh, hopefully the audio's alright. I'm in the car headed to the uh, doctor to deal with a ruptured Achilles tendon playing soccer thankfully so uh at least it's in the spirit of the game so uh you, you were uh you were giving 110 percent effort I'm sure and uh and, and took 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 a took a, a faulty step what happened last night yeah you know I'll try not to make it too long but uh my twin boys who are 18 uh, play in a futsal league, and of course their goalkeeper couldn't make it. And I thought, now that they're playing in an adult league, what a great opportunity to finally be able to play on the same team as my kids. So I suit up in some old gear that I've had from back in the Detroit Rockers days and uh, successfully play the first half and in goal. In the second half, a little breakaway happens. I make a step with my left foot, and I literally thought the goal had fallen on the back of my leg, and uh, there's no nothing there. And when I turned around there was nobody there. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's the pattern. Uh, yeah, you just blew out your Achilles and thought you got shot. So, uh, and I did not make the save by the way. So kind of a, a fail all the way around. So, so you and, and, and Kevin Durant are going to be, uh, rehabbing together soon. I'm sure somewhere. Um, but, but yeah, Katie, Katie shot me a, a tweet last night. You know, obviously he was pretty broken up about hearing about my injury and, uh, I don't know if it's later today or sometime tomorrow. He'll be sending out his private jet. We'll be doing rehab together. So 
you know, there, there's a silver lining in all of it. At least, uh, at least we're going to spend some time together. That'll be great. There you go. So, <laughs> so uh, y- y- you get the opportunity to play with your your twin boys, and you you were like reliving the rockers days, and you you, you thought it was going to be this magical night, and it ended up in absolute pain and tragedy. What did your What did your boys do when dad went down? Did they thought you were faking it? What, what did they think? Oh, uh, well, they originally thought I had a cramp. Um, and then when I said, no, I think I just blew out my Achilles. There was sort of this like shock and horror followed by, I think mom said this was not a good idea on the way out the door. So that that's <laughs> so never, now, that's never one of those lines you want to hear, right? <laughs> no. So yeah, at 51 years old playing with a couple of 18 year olds, you know, it, uh, it takes its toll, but it is what it is. Like I said, at least it was playing a game and, uh, and I was playing with my boys, so I'm not sure I would have changed it. You know, I wasn't doing something stupid like bungee jumping uh, you know, off a cliff or something. So Right, right. You know, could so, be worse. so before we wrap this part of the saga up, what did the wife say when, when you got home last night? Um, she, We've been married for almost 30 years, and there was definitely an I told you so before there was, are you okay? So, <laughs> so it sounds been great. Sounds very gracious like- to take care of me, but uh, yeah, it was. I I told you this was not a good idea, and then of course, did you warm up properly? And she went through the whole routine, which I've heard you know a hundred times with my boys. So, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it's it sounds like your wife and my wife are, are kindred spirits in that regard. Um, <laughs> as soon as I told my wife last night uh, about what happened, she said she she her her first thought was. So when you go out to play, um, I better not be getting that phone call. <laughs> and I was like, you know, okay, okay. She's like, you don't need me trying to run down the field and, and, and be some hero. Like, I don't need you going and, and having to get surgery. I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, took, I took one for you, so you're all good. Oh, fantastic. Not not for you, but uh, thankfully, uh, <laughs> thankfully, I'm going to learn my lesson through you. Uh, you know, I, I tell I tell people all the time that uh, personal experience is the most painful way to get an education. So I'm going to just try to use your personal experience to avoid that pain. Uh, in this case, literal pain. Um, you know, from from an Achilles rupture. So uh, good luck with that. I know you're you're on the way to the doctor to get that checked out. Hopefully, you get some some good news and and uh, and a decent timetable of recovery. Um, you 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 mentioned you know your rockers days. You grew up playing. How did you originally get connected with the game of soccer in the first place? Man, uh, you know, I don't know if it's probably more of a funny story than a fun one, uh, but I was in the 95th uh, percentile for obesity as a kid up until I was a sophomore in high school. So I was as, as wide as I was tall, and uh, at, at probably seven or eight years old, um, I grew up in Southern California, which because it being just a general melting pot, soccer was thankfully uh, always around on the playgrounds and wherever it was. I just couldn't keep up with kids on the field and we'd play a version of kickball, soccer, whatever it was. And I remember on a Saturday going with my best friend, uh, his, what then turned out to be a soccer practice. And as the coach was kind of letting everybody join in that, that had showed up that day. And he's like, yeah, man, you're not, you're not really kind of in the pack of kids, even let alone touching the ball. 
But we do have this one position. You get to wear these really cool gloves that the palms are made out of like ping pong paddle material at the time. So I'm clearly dating myself. And you get to wear this really snazzy jersey that's like a rainbow. And you get to stand here. You don't have to run anywhere outside this box. And you can use your hands to catch everything that comes at you. I was like, someone just literally invented a game perfectly for me. So that was it, man. I, you know, I literally was a goalie since I was seven years old. Um, thankfully I did grow my sophomore year, six inches and also lost a bit of weight. Thanks to a coach that, um, took a real passion in helping me, me become a better player. But, uh, yeah, seven years old, you know, seven and a half years old and, and started as a goalie and (laughs) clearly as my last injury will tell you, uh, ended up as one. So you, you went on to play in college and then to play with the Detroit Rockers, uh, what was that like back then in terms of the league and the environment and the ambiance uh, that you played in? I think a lot of people nowadays that follow the sport, they don't really realize what what was going on in that kind of uh, indoor uh, you know, experience uh, years ago. Yeah, it was interesting because growing up in San Diego, we had the San Diego Soccers that had been there through the late 70s from the NASL days, and which was pretty popular. And they would just play in the winter almost as a filler sport or a, a, a tune-up for some of their uh, off-the-bench guys. And at the San Diego Sports Arena, they were putting 14,000, 15,000 people a night in the place. And as the NASL was winding down, the MISL, Major Indoor Soccer League, oddly enough, was taking off because you had a lot of NBA owners that were looking around the arena saying, man, we got a lot of empty seats here on, you know, the, the Friday, Sunday, when the NBA team plays on a Saturday and uh, some small mid-market teams had no NBA or no NHL. So it was really big. That was in the mid to late eighties. I graduated from San Diego state 89. And as you know, fate would have it, the MISL was just winding down, meaning there were less and less owners willing to kind of put up the money it takes to be any kind of a pro franchise owner. And the, NPSL at the time, National Professional Soccer League, which was indoor, um, was the kind of offshoot of that league. And so our arena attendance, we were owned by the Illich family that owns the Red Wings and Tigers. So I think we're a little more fortunate than other teams. We were averaging between nine and 11,000 a night uh, playing on the off nights from the Red Wings. But on any regular basis, especially if we had a Tuesday or Wednesday midweek game, let's say in, uh, uh, you know, Kansas City or Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, there might be 2,500 people there. And, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely a minor league sport. Uh, but we, you know, like anybody, we were getting a chance to play a game for a living um, and, and obviously meet a lot of great people. And looking back on it, I would say really kind of bridge the gap between the NASL and what now Major League Soccer has to keep the sport going, to keep soccer alive, to have a place for guys that, that weren't at the time going overseas to play, to play in this country and make a living at it. So I'm pretty proud of the fact that got to spend 11 years doing that and, and be part of the game and growing it. And, you know, wouldn't have traded it for anything. I, I'm, I'm excited about where soccer is in the world. Uh, I, I'd love probably like you to see uh, some big changes going on here in the United States. But in general, the fact that the game is here, that people are interested, it's growing. Um, I couldn't be more excited. So your playing career, you have four years of college, eleven year pro career. Um, you you racked up a a 
list of injuries. Um, broken fingers, <laughs> uh, compound right leg fracture, ruptured uh, PCL in your left knee, two meniscus tears uh, on, uh, on your left knee, three broken ribs, three broken noses, fractured right cheekbone, broken right wi- uh, wrist, and a torn left rota- uh, rotator cr- cuff. And now add to the list... A, an Achilles injury because you were you you you, you played it you, you you messed it up playing soccer so um, you have literally laid life and limb uh, down for this game my man uh, <laughs> tell tell me w- w- what is it like uh, to to have such a deep passion that you're willing to come back and and not get your your nose broken once but but three times. Well, the first one's the one that really hurts, and when you don't have it repaired, it ends up being kind of like a clown's nose. It's just soft and squishy, and the next two after that weren't that big a deal. Um, I don't know. I I always felt like, you know, it was just part of the game. If you're going to be a goalkeeper, as much as people joke, and I might, you know, half admit that you're not really an athlete, you're just a goalkeeper, but always willing to be in front of the ball. The majority of those injuries came from, either, you know, the contact with someone who wanted to score and you obviously didn't want them to or going up to stop a cross and getting flipped over and something silly happening. Um, it was just a different position. And I think you accept those kind of injuries when you want to play that spot. And you also accept that there's only one guy who gets to play it. So along with those injuries, I was lucky to play a lot of minutes and a lot of consecutive games and play 10 of 11 years in one city. So I think there's a trade off there. Um, I guess I always looked at it just in the fact that that it was just kind of part of the position and part of the game. So in in your playing experience, uh, you know, it's it's only really been in, in the last few years that we we really started to talk about concussions and head injuries. Uh, I, I think we're actually about to see some rule changes when it comes to substitutions uh, within FIFA. Um, as as more is is discovered and the pressure grows uh, to ad- to address uh, specifically head injuries, um, what 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 was that kind of uh, environment like and discussion like when you were playing? Was it even you know a thing, or was it just kind of like rub some dirt on it and get back out there and play? What what was concussions? What were concussions and head injuries? those conversations like back when you were playing? You know, more the latter. And and I'm sad to report that a lot of what we hear, you know, in the media is pretty true. You know, the coach, all coaches, I would say, unless they were a medical doctor. um, And I was lucky to play for a guy who was a, he was a medical doctor from Mexico city. That was my high school coach. And I do remember sitting out the game after a game, I got a concussion there was no protocol. There was no, hey, the school or the league is saying you got to sit out. It was him watching me in practice the day after that game and just saying, man, you are, you're not in a good spot. I know you want to play. I'm just, I just, I'm not comfortable doing that as a coach. I would say that was by far a rarity. Um, through the youth days, it literally was, you know, you're looking at the coach, coach looking at you. I don't know what to do. Yeah, rub some dirt on it, get back out there and tell your mom and dad when you get home. And um, I think if anything, you're supposed to not take aspirin and wake up every two hours, something, you know, and then we'll see a practice tomorrow and we're going to work on heading. So 
I, I'm excited that, that across all sports that we're really taking a very serious look at this. Um, I personally know I started a study uh, going on three years ago now at the University of Michigan. I live up in Michigan um, to at least get my name on the list to talk about what happens in the recurring side of that. So those that were um, head injuries undocumented, starting to go back and do some memory testing. Um, I should be getting into the full protocol here come this January, but I'm missing a pretty good chunk of the first two years of high school, my memory and my seventh grade. And I can tell you first and foremost, it, it had a lot to do with those head injuries. So, you know, I'm just hoping that what they're identifying now, and certainly I hope guys maybe like myself or even a little younger who can lean in on some of these studies to just add more proof to it because it's real. It's out there. There needs to be changes. I'm glad to hear that FIFA is at least talking about the fact that if you can get a guy off the field, put somebody in in his place. I know the Academy is doing that already just until there's an evaluation and determination and then an immediate switch out. I think that's a, at least a step in the right direction. So all of that, all of that, your experience, your, your playing career, um, you you have twin boys and and now you have Owen that is is uh, going to the University of Michigan uh, to to play as a goalkeeper and he's currently playing with Detroit City FC. Um, what is that like knowing the ropes, knowing where where he's at now, having that experience? How has that helped you prepare him? Uh, for you know his career and understanding you know uh, his body and and recovery or what things to look out for. Well, you cited it earlier. You know, I I know we were joking a little bit, but but the the easiest way to learn is through that pain. The second is somebody else's, and so I'd say thankfully for Owen, when things like this happen, and he's had a couple of broken bones, uh, finger specifically that he wanted to come back from earlier. He got his chin busted up that we thought was a broken jaw. That certainly kept him out because we also ran parallel pro protocol for head injury. You know, like any athlete, he wants to get out there. He doesn't have a lot of experience of what it takes to say no. And at least I can say, hey, I, I personally have been there and done that and, and not to my benefit. So when he can look at me and at least say, I, I think I got to trust my dad on this one. You know, my dad wasn't just some guy sitting on the couch uh, all these years. He was in the game. He had these kind of injuries. He can show me his hands that are arthritic and all busted up because he didn't take some time off in advance. Certainly the memory problems with not being diagnosed correctly on the head injuries. Um, it helps. You know, it doesn't alleviate my anxiety as a dad. And I think my wife, Denise, is, is maybe 10 times that, sitting on the sideline as a mom of a goalie. Um, but I also know, like any of us as parents, that when your kids are following their passion and they're thriving because of their happiness um, to do whatever they're doing, whether it's being on the robotics team, being a part of uh, dance and cheer squad or chance to play at Caltech like Josh is or University of Michigan like Owen, there's nothing more you want for your kids and see them happy and just see them excited. So we balance that out, right? That, that we want your health and, and wellness first and foremost. Uh, we're going to balance that against, you, you know, you doing something healthy with your body and getting ready to prepare to play the game at a, you know, a good high level for where he has, where they are in their age. 
So you grow up in in this American soccer landscape, or your boys grew up in this American soccer landscape. You as their dad, Josh and Owen, playing the game. Um, was 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 there ever? Did they ever tell you like they felt pressure, or was it just something that they they just latched onto? What drew them into the game of soccer, and and now both getting ready to head off to uh, to, to college to play. Um, what what is what, what what where was the genesis for them you know it's interesting because that's a great question because with twins there's sort of the age-old um, debate nature versus nurture and so you'd say well on the nurture side man dad must have really pushed these guys into playing sport um, but the reality is living in Michigan we have basements most of us um, and you get long winters the boys really just kind of love kicking a ball i don't know that it looked like soccer when they were two or three and and just enjoying that and obviously when your dad participates with you in that you probably fall a little bit more in love with it just like i did with baseball with my dad and the more they played um i really wanted owen to be a field player and i coached him uh, i think denise coached him when they were real little because she was wise enough to say you really don't need to coach him now uh but as i coached him when they were seven eight nine it was, um, I'd put Owen up front or I put him in the middle. We'd watch this little pack of beehive kids run around having fun. And as, you know, I'm trying to tell him, look, you're forward, at least stay forward, try to score some goals. You're a defender, your job's keep the ball out. And uh, you're certainly allowed to go anywhere you want in the field, but let's try to at least get some organization. And that ball would come down towards our net and this flash uh, would come across and kick the ball out and it'd be Owen. And I'd be mad that as Owen, you're a forward, let the other guys, that's their job, you know? And he just, he said to me, Dad, if they don't score, we can't lose. And Denise and I look at each other like you hang your head and you go, well, he's goalie. Dang it. Um, and he's always had a passion to be in the backyard, kicking the ball against the side wall, kicking against the garage, playing in the winter. Josh, on the other hand, um, and I think going to Caltech would kind of speak to his nature. Very smart kid, top three in his class. Um, also loved doing robotics and is very engineer-minded kid. Josh really loved soccer because it was a social aspect for him and he liked the physical component of it. He's a center back. So he really likes kicking people. Um, and when Owen and Josh played on the same team all the way up until they're about 14, quite frankly, he also enjoyed as the older twin brother kind of taking care of that business before it got to his brother. So if you ask Josh that he loved all of those things about the game of soccer, not because, Hey, I might get a chance to play it later in life or I have this passion to be the, the best in the world at it. He just liked all the other ancillary benefits. And that's why I just love, I mean, I love sport in general, but I really love this game because the way it moves around, my boys are a perfect example of, you, you don't all have to be the next U.S. national team star and have aspirations to do that in order to play this game. You, you can find that fit for you, even if it's not playing at a Division three school, uh, but just playing co-ed soccer at the university you're going to, or youth recreational soccer in your community the game is still awesome it's still fun um you can play any part of it so i know i'm off on a little bit of a tangent but for my boys it was really cool to see them both fall in love with the game for almost completely different reasons that's that's awesome and i think you have a, a such a good perspective too when you when when you have twin boys in in and seeing 
you know, each of them kind of uh, grow to love the game in their own way, play in their own way, chase their own path. Now, you know that they're they're getting out of high school, kind of uh, going uh, in separate uh, directions for for school. Not to say that the the, the bond and the family bond is is, is any uh, way a part of that. It's just you know choosing different paths for this next phase chapter of their life is 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 also. Um, really cool as well. Um, when when you look at the the kind of ecosystem and the um, environment that your boys ha- have come up here and, and grown up in in the, in the last few years, getting them ready for this next level. Um, what what have you enjoyed about their you know high school years? Uh, in, in terms of the the opportunities they got to play in, and then what what areas would you look at and go, man, I wish this was a little different, or this this would be tweaked. Mm. And we're good for the next hour, right? <laughs> go for it. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, it, it, on the on the plus side, knowing that there are different levels, and we're very fortunate. We live in Michigan. I'd say, you know, maybe top ten. Uh, taking a wild guess in terms of not only participation, but organization of soccer, lots of varying degrees of opportunity for the boys to play in at different levels and having coached their teams watching, you know, every year, 15 to 17 boys as there's turnover and tryouts or interest levels or whatever, helping them find their spot, whether it's just a low level rec team or, Hey, maybe it's time you might want to think about playing on an A team or a, or a, a academy type team. And then into high school, um, again, the boys were fortunate, as we are in Michigan, to have pretty high-level soccer at all different uh, levels of school. And so Josh, because he did not play academy, got to play for his high school team and got a chance to win state championship. So, again, it was kind of a fulfilling prophecy for him that it was really about why he was in the game, not winning that ring, but being a part of this competitive uh, do the extra stuff, you know, it's going to make a difference later. I mean, it really hit home for him and, and high school soccer allowed that to happen. Uh, for Owen, that was a miss that uh, although playing Academy was the right and, and definitely was the right level for him um, as a parent and certainly somebody who had played the game at, at a higher level, I was sad that he didn't get the experience of playing with the kids he went to high school with, because quite frankly, all but three of them are going to end up playing at the next next level. So that those high school soccer years were the end of their sort of big team competitive environment. And I also think there's something different about wearing that badge on the front of your jersey that represents your school, whether it's high school or college, and if you're ever fortunate enough to do it as a pro, wearing that badge and playing for your school and your, your student body, I just think there's a great learning there, a humility that comes with that. So for Josh, man, what a what an awesome opportunity. And I think with the Academy saying that's not a possibility, at least today's day and age, I think that's a miss for those kids because not every kid that goes to the Academy is going to go on and play in college. I know a high number of them do, but they're also missing out on four pretty important years. And I think if you talk to a lot of college coaches off the record, they would also tell you that they're taking some of these Academy kids and having to indoctrinate them with the importance of wearing in Owen's case, the, the, the block M on his Jersey, because all they've done is play for a club and, and in the Academy environment, again, maybe one of the downsides is it's kind of every man for himself. 
you know, that system is developed to promote the kids to be at the next level somewhere else, not necessarily to win a game as a team, not necessarily to take that extra block because the guy in front of you missed a tackle Um, because blocks aren't recorded and they're not sexy and they could end up in an injury. And maybe you're just better off doing what you do and keeping your pass completion up and showing that you ran 3.9 kilometers in the first uh, half, you know? So I guess I'm steering a little bit towards the the kind of broken part in my eyes. Uh, I wish we would continuously look at what the Academy environment has and for sure, there are players who need to be there and even higher as they migrate into Europe through their high school age. Um, but I believe there's also a way for the academy to be more about being a little more inclusive on <clears throat> where kids are playing the game. And by that, I mean, where are they today and where do they need to be? Not pushing every one of them to play within the rules that our U.S. men's national team plays in three substitution moments, five total subs in a game. And you can say, well, these kids are 14. How are they going to get better at the game if they're all sitting on the bench after a week's worth of long training and they're looking at their buddies who are enjoying everyday training to play for their high school? Certainly seems to be a a little miss, just at least at that youth level. So you have uh, experience. You're you're an entrepreneur, business owner, investor um, with – and you have your own your own uh, foundation, um, opportunity uh, seed uh, capital, opportunity seed sports, uh, your foundation. Um, you have a, a really good perspective, uh, and, and you and I met during uh, Eric Winalda's campaign for president of U.S. Soccer. And one of the things I immediately loved about getting to know you is the way you process. Uh, information and and find solutions and and diagnose situations and and find a path forward. Um, and one of the things I look at in the landscape of American soccer is we have a lot of, and you mentioned uh, even like these youth soccer clubs, uh, adult amateur clubs, um, even professional clubs. And and if you were to if you were to take them out, uh, you know, out of soccer, let's 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 say they're all in the restaurant business. Not many of them would be around in a year or two. Uh, they're not run very well from a business perspective in general, um, and and certainly uh, you're not going to read glowing customer reviews uh, on on their organizations. So as you have had this experience with your kids, your own personal experience playing. What what if you were looking at a at a at a soccer club and, and going how can I make this thing better? It, you know, I there are a lot of things on a macro level we could have a conversation about systemically um, that would would change you know some of the culture and environment. But even right now in the current context of where these clubs uh, exist, what are some things that you look at knowing the landscape and go? man, I think we're missing it here, here, and here, and here's some things we might would want to look at to do better. Uh, man, I, I, I'll try to at least stay a little high level on that, but that's a great question, right? And, I, and one that just does not get asked enough, which is why I love listening to your show. Um, for me personally, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but that's what we're talking about here is stop treating the parents like they're the customers. And, I know that sounds counterintuitive because it's common sense that these kids aren't writing the checks, but 
But I think that's the problem is we treat the parents like they're the customers. I'm saying this generally, not all clubs do this, but for the most part, the clubs treat the parents as if they're the customer, which means you get some marginal kids that are playing in teams they shouldn't be because they've paid their $3,000 per year or more since they were eight, which makes no sense at all. Um, but because we treat the parent as the customer, we're willing, we're okay to do that because when one parent says, hey, my kid really need to play $3,000 a year soccer at eight years old. And you go, yes, they do. And the parents say, well, that doesn't sound right. You go, okay, step aside because there's 15 people behind you with their checkbooks that are willing to write that check. That's a problem. So I think if we started looking at this a little better and saying, look, at the very, very top of that pyramid of, let's just say, any youth club, you're going to have your kids who definitely have what it takes to play this game at the next level, and they need to be there. Let's migrate them there. And when they get there, there is no cost to doing that. And there is a way to do this, right? So you get them at that level. Therefore, you're not buying your way in. Okay, now we should be talking about talent and we should be talking about opportunity. Below those levels, let's make the charge to play at that. I don't know that we're ever going to alleviate the pay-to-play model, which is saddening, and that is another show in itself. Um, and, and one, the Opportunity Seed Foundation, that was the genesis of us starting that foundation out of the proceeds of one of the sales of our company was – we at least have to address the issue. We may not address the overall problem, but the issue of pay-to-play sports is that we're selling to the parents. So I think at those lower levels, if we can get kids playing the game and they don't need uh, $60,000 a year soccer coaches at eight years old, they don't. Do the group of eight-year-old soccer coaches need a $60,000 a year um, oversight person? Sure, that we, we could have that in place and that certainly could work. But we don't need them as everyday regular coaches for eight years old. And then you can just do the math on the way up. Because, my goodness, if I had that guy at eight, what's what's what are Josh and Owen supposed to have at 10? And then, my goodness, what are they supposed to have at 12? And by then, I've paid so much money. And the running joke, as we've heard for 20 years, is this is kind of my college uh, tuition plan. Because I know Josh and Owen are for sure going to get full ride scholarships. And, by goodness, if this club doesn't help me do that, uh, I might stand on the table and hold my breath and stomp up and down, which parents do. So uh, I, as much as I'm addressing kind of the issue of, yeah, we're selling to the parents, I think the solution to all that is is to, to dial back where we're having a pay-to-play portion of this and putting it appropriately into the model. Then, to your point, if you run that as a business, you would never be incentivized to do anything but take the best kids that need and want capital W A N T want the next level of training and put them in an environment where there is no charge, whether they played in your club for three years, five years or zero years, that top level would be about the top level players. What it would force the rest of the pyramid below that to do is actually to have the kids that should be in the right place. And if by goodness, it wouldn't be as much to have them play there. So you know, that's my couple of minutes version. Obviously, like you and I said, this this is a really big topic and could go for an hour. But I just firmly believe if we started treating the kids like they were the client and really giving them quality environment, quality training, fun that mattered, that brought them back because you were lighting up the love of the game instead of delivering five practice sessions a week for eight-year-olds because parents are willing to pay for all the extra training and make the coaches all the extra money. 
I think you'd see some pretty dramatic change. Well, I I love where um, where you're at on this, and I love I always love talking to you because you 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 always come with really good uh, practical uh, insight, uh, and you can hear it. You know, even in your your discussion of your own career, your kids' careers, and then even looking at a at a problem like this and starting to tackle it. Um, well, look, good luck with your with your doctor's appointment today. Um, you uh you you are uh will be in our thoughts and prayers hopefully you get a, a speedy recovery um and uh, and that all goes well there i i really do appreciate you coming on the show today i re- would really love to have you back on again in the future and uh and get into some more of these macro level issues uh because I, I think it would be a fascinating conversation to kind of dive into some of these specific topics uh in a little bit longer form so good luck with your recovery and uh look forward to having you uh, back on again uh soon yeah and i appreciate it daniel and i, and I, I really and i've said this a couple of times i appreciate the fact that you are sticking with the real issues that matter in this country it's not a, a a way to wave a flag and cause some turmoil for no good reason i think your topics are right on you're saying things that people not only want to hear about but get involved with um i i just i can say for the state of michigan um you're loved up here what you do up here matters. And, uh, you know, for the people that listen, get engaged because it, it, it it's not a foregone conclusion that soccer is going to be the way it is in this country just because. And when we stand up and we actually lean into what's going on here and quite frankly, just do what's right. I, I know it sounds simple. Um, it's going to make a difference. And, and I personally just thank you for continuing on that path. Um, I think far too many just cave into what sounds you know, cool to soccer today instead of how do we actually make this the best it can be. And so I, I just can't thank you enough. I think you're doing an awesome job and much appreciated from uh, certainly up here in the Great Lakes region. Well, I, I appreciate uh, that. That That is uh, about as good of a, of a birthday present as I can get. So uh, I thank you. Uh, Thank you for that. And uh, like I said, I really look forward to having you back on again soon and love to get uh, to get Owen on uh, and talk about his experience with Detroit. And uh, and and hopefully we can get uh, that lined up soon as well. So, uh, again, thanks for uh, for coming on today and sharing your thoughts, your insights. And uh, good luck with this uh, this doctor's appointment so that you don't have to go (laughs) face your wife again with another. I told you so. (laughs) Sounds great, man. Thanks, Daniel. Have a great night. Thank you. All right, that is Brian Finnerty. He is the CEO of Opportunity Seed and um, op- uh, Capital Opportunity Seed Sports and his Opportunity Seed Foundation. Um, they um, do all kinds of really good work uh, across the country, but but up there in Michigan. And uh, Brian is a, an incredible guy. Uh, great family man and uh, really, really bright business mind. Uh, and I really enjoyed getting to know him uh, during the, uh, the the 2018 uh, presidential election uh, with with Eric. Um, it was uh, it was it was a lot of uh, a lot of fun to have those conversations and talk about things. And we need more people like him more involved within U.S. soccer at a higher level because he's, he's a problem solver and you can hear it in the way he talks and um, and that's what we really should be looking for as board members and other things so um, 
really enjoyed having Brian on. Thanking, thank, thank him for coming on and, and the kind words at the end. Our, our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. They provide clean drinking water to people all over the world, and you can be a part of that story at charitywater.org. We will be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. And you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Friday, July the 12th, and um, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in, not only today, but uh, over the last few months. We launched this show on April the 8th, and um, we knew that we were we were going to be heading out for this European tour before we ever launched the show, but um, I, I'd just like to say a big thank you on my birthday uh, to all of you who have watched, who have reached out, who have uh, offered words of support. Uh, an encouragement um, guests who have come on the show uh, really just a big thank you uh, the whole point of this show is to try to help uh, soccer in this country but also soccer around the world get better um, it's the beautiful game it's the most amazing game to me and there's nothing like it it is it is like a universal language for the world and um, and so I you know I want to see the game continue to get better, uh, and there are ways to, that we need to do that. On a global level and in this country, we need to clean up the governance and, and be more transparent and and do things in the light, um, not in the shadows. Um, and in this country specifically, we need to get to a place where we are more, more focused on the game itself and not profiting or leeching off the game. And, uh, and, and that means opportunity, it means access, and it means merit. You, you need those three uh, principles, those three words, in, integrated into the core purpose and principle of the United States Soccer Federation in order for us to a- attain excellence across the board. As great as our U.S. women's national team have been, and they were amazing this World Cup, we are not going to be able to stay at that level unless we put more resources into the women's game. And I know that sounds hard to believe coming off of back-to-back World Cups, 
But I said this going into the World Cup, and nothing about this World Cup changed my mind on what I saw. And the people that I have spoken to on air as well as off the air, and that is other countries are coming, and they are coming quickly. And you look at countries like Spain, in the next five to ten years, they are going to be a powerhouse. You look at Italy, same thing. Countries around the world are starting to take the sport seriously. They are starting to put resources into the game. We cannot allow our country, with the storied history that we have with our women's program, to sit on its laurels and not double down and reinvest and get better. Having only nine NWSL franchises in this country for the top level of our women's game is quite frankly an embarrassment. We should be the the place that every lady in the world wants to come and play. We should be the top league in the world. We have a national team that is unrivaled in in its success. And our national team players, our national team pool players, and other top talents from around the world should be looking at the American Professional League as the best league and best opportunity in the world. And quite frankly, it is quickly, quickly falling behind because our federation is not setting it up for success. They are doing to our women's game what has happened across the board in every aspect of soccer in this country. And that's why we need change and need it now. We need to do better. It's not that people are, are out and in, 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 in wishing for the destruction of the game. It's just that we are not uh, realizing our potential. We are not doing everything in our power to attain excellence. It's one thing to take a step. It's another thing to take 10,000 steps or 10,000 gallops. You're going to cover more ground the, the farther you go. And that's what we need from our federation. We need leadership that stands up and says, we are going to take American soccer to the moon. We are going to reach excellence. We are going to be the first country in the world who is at the top of the game on the men's and women's side. No one else can reach that level other than us. This needs to be that conversation that is had within U.S. soccer and within the American soccer landscape and ecosystem. We need to aspire for greatness and excellence. And if I could wish for anything on, on, on my birthday, that would be what I would wish for, that American soccer would be given the opportunity, the access to use merit as the primary principle to, to go and reach for the stars. That there would be no gatekeepers getting in the way. That we would get all of these arbitrary rules out of the way. We are, we are artificially doing soccer in this country right now. We're not there. And the reason we're not there is the rules. It's not for a lack of interest or money. There is more than $5 billion per year 
invest it into the youth soccer space in America that is more than the top professional league in Germany. We don't lack for resources and we don't lack for interest. We lack for opportunity and access that is merit-based. That's what I want to see from this country. That's what I want to see on my birthday. Um, that is my hope. And I am looking forward uh, to to these next few weeks as we take the show to Europe and get to have some conversations about what life is like on the ground in different places across uh, Europe. And we look forward to sharing that with you and, uh, and bringing that content uh, to you. And again, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Daniel Workman, facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. Thanks for tuning in this July the 12th uh, for my birthday show. I really do appreciate it. I really appreciate Brian coming on today, uh, playing hurt and uh, get the job done was excellent as always. Uh, and always great to catch up with him. Thanks for tuning in. We will see everyone on Monday live from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Goodbye, everybody.